Hey everyone, Austin Swanson here, aka Swanny47, bringing you a brand new video on buying a Carvana vending machine. I'm excited about this. <laughs> so, just to jump right into this, I am not recommending you buy a Carvana vending machine. I'm not recommending you buy the public shares of the company. What I am, the reason I'm talking about this is I thought this was a unique idea. I've heard people talk about and pitch buying Carvana, uh, the underlying public company, plenty of times, right? It's discussed at length. What is not discussed, and I've, I don't know if I've ever seen someone talk about this that I can think of, but it's buying the vending machine itself. And this is legitimate. There's ones for sale. There's ones I've been watching that have already sold. And there's a reason I'm bringing this up why this might be an interesting investment opportunity. And just uh, the reason why this might be good for both people who are interested in commercial real estate as well as you know public co company shares is because in, the, in a commercial real estate triple net or absolute net lease deal, which we'll talk about, the business is the tenant rather than an individual. And so you have to think about the business and thinking, are they going to be around in 10 years? Are they going to make this rent payment? And so you have to think about the business. So that helps with thinking about the public company. Is this also just a great company to own? So this works, this works both ways. So here's a picture of one. This is absolutely legitimate. Um, and so just some background on everything. My wife and I own real estate, and that's why we kind of started thinking about this. Uh, my wife is actually the property manager for all our residential real estate, our uh, small and uh, you know, our multifamily residential real estate properties. She was a property manager prior to us owning our own properties. We did this for some apartment complexes, and that kind of helped us, you know, understand how we can manage the properties ourselves. So once we started buying properties, she stepped away and focused full time on our properties. But as we started, you know, invested in some of the, the, the uh, residential side, we started realizing all the benefits of you know, triple net and absolute net deals. And so what that is is triple net. That's the N and N, but people say triple net um, is where you have a business that's your tenant instead of an individual, and the rent payment that they pay you is net of taxes, insurance, and maintenance. And so how to think about this differently? Essentially, the business is responsible for making the payments for taxes, insurance, and maintenance. Where a gross lease, like uh, a tenant is paying me, it's, it's gross of everything. They maybe pay me $1,000, and then I, as the owner, have to go pay $100 for taxes, $100 for insurance, and $100 for maintenance, okay? Uh, I also have capital expenditures. If the parking lot uh, goes out, I might have to fix that. If the roof has problems, I'll have to replace that. So I have to save a little bit for that. So you have triple net where it's net of those three things. And the, the tenant or the business then is responsible for taxes, insurance, and maintenance. Okay? And we'll talk about why this is beneficial in the next spot. You have then absolute net leases where it's net of absolutely everything. <laughs> including, and there's some nuances here and there could be some, some differences uh, based on the lease itself. But typically what I've seen is then uh, it's net of the three things, taxes, insurance, and maintenance, but also uh, repairs like in the parking lot uh, or the roof or other capital expenditures. And so then you're essentially just starts becoming uh, like a bond, right? But where you have, you know, easy, accessible uh, uh, leverage or debt with banks, you have tax benefits, you have, um, I mean, it's just, it's just like a coupon payment, but also has clauses where it can increase over time, maybe with inflation or other parts of the lease. And so it gets more passive than residential real estate, but it's not as passive as just owning the public shares of the company. But then you also have uh, some implied leverage and tax benefits and what I just said before. Okay, so at this point, we're not talking about Carvana uh, vending machine yet, but there are Carvana vending machines that have both absolute and net, uh, triple net deals. 
So, some of the benefits of this is when you go and buy a, res or a real estate property uh, higher than the last person, there's usually a tax reassessment at some point. And what happens, they'll say you paid more, this property's worth more, there's a higher tax assessment, and so taxes are going up. And so if I spent, if I paid double for a rental property than somebody else, I'm gonna have higher taxes and I need to bake that into my, my analysis. However, with commercial triple net and absolute net leases, the tenant or the business is responsible for taxes. So even if I go in and I pay a significantly higher price, the business is responsible for the higher taxes. So that's great. Um, the other interesting thing is the amount of work involved. And we kind of talked about the, the passive aspect, but because maintenance is, is the responsibility of the business, um, if something goes wrong, they're calling somebody and getting it done. They're not calling you the property manager. And so it just starts taking way more responsibility out and allows for you to be an absentee owner, out of state owner. Um, and that's just, I love that. I, I'm looking to be as passive as possible. And so, but you have then is people are like, oh, that's interesting, right? Of course, well, if, if this is so great, then why aren't everybody looking at this? They are, right? And so it leads to more investors. So uh, looking at the deal, it increases the prices, decreases the returns if you have different businesses. And I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. The other aspect, is you know I'm always thinking about okay you you have a business that's the tenant and so you have to think about is this business gonna be around for ten years uh, or longer are they gonna be uh, are they doing well is some competition gonna come along are there a new business I mean you have to think about all these things especially the competitive advantage um, and but the thing is is the ones that are easily identifiable of you know great companies that are gonna be around think about Chick Fil A uh, McDonald's maybe Seven Eleven all these companies, but what happens is, is other investors can realize these competitive advantages or realize how certain these cash flow payments are gonna be. And so it leads to more investors, higher purchase price, more returns. Um, and just in case I don't get to it, I mean, I was just looking on the market today and some for uh, like a McDonald's, uh, Raising Cane's, uh, there were some other ones, 7-Eleven, they're under three and a half percent cap rates. And a cap rate, oh, I'll get into this right now, a cap rate is the capitalization rate and it's your net operating income. So no debt service um, included in this, but net operating income divided by the purchase price. So as the purchase price increases, uh, your returns decrease, okay? So you have all these people and all this competition there. And so what this does is you have to think different. You have to think, okay, well, let's move away where everyone else is looking, uh, where there's higher cap rates or higher returns because there's lower purchase prices, because there's more uncertainty, right? We have to kind of look at all that. So we have to think different than everybody else. Okay, but here's the thing, <laughs> and this was, I thought maybe a good example of this. It's great to think different than everyone else because you know, as there's more competition, it compresses to the risk rate rate because everything becomes more certain, so we have to think of the uncertain things. But here, if everyone believes a business is, you know, like, or a real estate asset is not gonna be, you know, easily converted, and the business goes out of business, right? It, it shuts down, goes bankrupt, whatever, and so you're left with this building that can't be converted and then rent it out to somebody else. It does not make sense to buy that triple net lease thinking, man, this is a high cap rate. This is trading at, you know, a 15 cap, 15% return on the purchase price. Uh, boy, let, let's go ahead and do this. Just to think contrarian than everybody else, right? Makes no sense if everyone else is right, that that business is going out and you're gonna be left with this awful structure and you're not gonna be able to change it or without significant costs and re-rent it out. Like a, a perfect example is like, what if there's a movie theater that's like, hey, we're, we're trying to do a sale lease back to raise money because we're going out of business. Uh, we'll do a 15 cap and, uh, but there's a high probability we're going bankrupt. You might like be like, ha, no, I'm gonna think different than everybody else. The only time it makes sense to think different is if you're also right. So in the movie theater example, you might be like, 
this movie theater is actually going to stay around because this is still a great activity. Even though we're going to have a decrease in people coming, we can. Uh, there's pricing power. We can. It's a cheap form of entertainment. So we're going to raise the prices. Uh, well, actually, but you're the triple net. You're not the business. You're going to be having to talk with them. But if you knew that they were going to do that, that's a way of thinking contrarian and knowing different than everybody else, and it was the right thing to do. That that would be an interesting thing. That would have been really good during COVID. Uh, but let's let's keep going with this. So. The way that I came up with thinking about a Carbana vending machine for a triple net or absolute net ATM was through inversion. Not something I came up, came up uh, I came across this from reading for Charlie's Almanac about Charlie Munger and all his speeches and writings and best book uh, or one of my favorite books out there. So instead of focusing on what everybody else is thinking, I wanted to take what they look for in a deal and invert it and then say, out of any of these, can we, you know, if the better way is just to look exactly at how I'm doing this is I knew people are saying they are looking for a triple net or absolute net lease. They want to look for when they're doing a sale lease back for growth and not for trying to survive and raise cash because they're going out of business because that shows the viability of the company. You want a strong tenant with a long track record that everybody knows is going to pay rent. You want a building type that can be reused from somebody else. Uh, if, if they go out of business, you can just re-rent it or it can be really easily converted. Okay, So we have these investing criteria that everybody else is looking at. And when I said, can I invert each one of these and say, well, you know what? Everyone else is looking here, but if I invert this, I can still get a good deal. And I can get a deal that because people are saying, well, this doesn't have this criteria and it's trading at lower prices, meaning the higher return, that this is actually a, a really good investment opportunity. And then trying to find a business that fit all these. And so what I realized is like, okay, I want the triple net or absolute net lease. That's, that's a good deal. So I got to keep that. And I like the idea of them doing a sale lease back uh, for growth purposes and not struggling, okay? Because, I mean, that, that just makes sense. I don't want a dying business here. I want a good tenant. But where I could get a little different is a tenant that's, you know, still strong and going to be around for a while, but does it's a newer company. doesn't have – it's not well-recognized by people. Um, or if it is, do people know about it? I mean, that's the other thing. Do they even know about Carbono or, or know about any company in general? This is the investment they have. Uh, if, even if it's a newer company, can – can I come up with an insight that says, hey, this is actually a great company that's going to be around for a long time. Um, and because it's more uncertain to all the other investors, it leads to lower purchase prices and higher cap rates and higher returns. And then the other aspect is saying, okay, is there a building type that's really unique and not easily convertible so that people are like, I'm not going to take, like even if this business may be around, if they have the chance of going out of business and I'm stuck with this weird, uh, unique structure, like, I'm just not going to do the deal, right? And then once I started thinking about, like, what are some weird structures, that's when I started thinking about Carbono. <laughs> and, uh, and I actually did not know that they were doing triple net or absolute net leases with these uh, beforehand. I was like, boy, I wonder if I could pitch this to the company and say, hey, you're trying to grow. Uh, how Instead of owning these assets, why don't you do sell leasebacks? Do a triple net, absolute net lease, so you rent it back from me. I believe in your future, and I'm okay with taking the risk of owning this thing because I don't think you're going into business. Well, so I started doing some research, and actually, I was kind of surprised. That's exactly what they're already doing. And it's always really nice to think about a certain situation of, like, especially a business, and you're thinking, hey, they should be doing this because that would show good management decisions. And when you see the business isn't actually doing that, it's actually kind of exciting. So that's kind of the thing I was thinking about in terms of the underlying business. Um, so that's how I came up with Carbono. But it's like, okay. Uh, let, let me just, I'll just talk about the Carbono vending machines a little bit and then we'll get into why this might actually be a viable option. So, again, we've already talked about there are 
Cardone vending machines on the market, both triple net and absolute net deals. I've seen ones that are actually just a sale leaseback for like 20 years with uh, clauses for increases. I've also seen ones where they're trying to sell it and there's like 16 years remaining on the lease. That's really good. You don't want to buy a sale leaseback with like maybe one year on the lease. They don't renegotiate or they try to build a new one. Like they're locked in for that period of time. So that's really good to see. Uh, the other interesting thing here is they've been on the market for a long time. So even though they, I've, I've seen some in here for, you know, uh, six to seven and a half percent for cap rates, which is much better than the three to three and a half I'm seeing on Chick-fil-A, McDonald's, or anything like, like it's double, if not almost triple in some, in some, in some sense, because the reason they've been on the market for so long, I think the business knows, Hey, this is a great deal for people. Like we're going to be around forever, but no one trusts it. So it's like, you have two people saying, Hey, we got to stick at this 6% cause this is a really good deal. Uh, so this is double what you know other cap rates for triple net leases are. Uh, where everyone else is like, we don't want to touch this because we don't want to be stuck with this property and we don't even understand what Carvana is or that they're going to be around. Everyone always you know, hear about it's a fraud, right? And so even though it's still you know not the best cap rate return, it's been on the market for a while. And so this leads to there's a, there's a chance that you could probably negotiate and get those even at higher returns and lead to being get you know cap rates that are triple elsewhere in the market. Uh, this won't be around forever. If Carvana is a great business and it becomes the number one online car dealership in like 10, 20 years and everybody knows and everyone's buying it from them, these cap rates are going to go right back down to Ch Chick-fil-A, McDonald's, Raising Cane, which is an interesting opportunity for everybody else. It's kind of like uh, when you're dealing with uh, public companies and uh, multiple expansions. That's exactly what it is. I mean, it's just the inverse. A cap rate is also the discounted cash flow of uh, future payment, but you can also invert the cap rate and like a 3% is a 33 times the, the NOI or the, like a 33 times uh, PE or cash flow basis. And so you're really going from, you know, a, you know, a six to a three percent, which is declining. And it's actually an expansion in the multiple, uh, along with you have the, the NOI or the rent payments increasing. So you're getting earnings increase and uh, multiple expansion. Never actually thought about that till this moment because uh, I wasn't really thinking about it in terms of selling it. But um, it's also an interesting opportunity for refinancing. Boy, there's you guys want to talk about this more feel free to reach out to me i get you can tell i got i really uh, think this is exciting so however <laughs> you may ask maybe everybody else is right carbon's not proven it how do we know they're gonna be around for 10 years are they still are they gonna be around to make the rent payments so this is where uh i i do own shares in carbon on the underlying business full disclosure not recommending them um and so but my enjoyment for trying to understand businesses and what makes them, you know, have a higher probability of being around in the future or having a higher probability of success. That's where this gets, it's my, not necessarily, I don't want to say it's my edge, but it's, I understand this maybe a little bit more than most real estate investors who are not even thinking about really much the business, right? They're kind of just stuck with, oh, is this a good business or not? And if they haven't heard about it, so what? So to kind of talk about, and this is for both the public company and for other people thinking about this as a commercial real estate deal, uh, I wanted to compare this to traditional car deals. So this is one reason why why would I buy uh, online with Carvana versus going to the car dealership? So there's four things that I usually try to think about uh, for almost every single business because it's just a nice mental framework. So the first thing um, is more convenience. I can sit here at home, buy a car. Really nice instead of having to go to multiple dealerships and see what they have in person or online but I might have to go to their dealership look one you know at all these different ones because they're limited by their lots and then if I want to actually close on the deal I might just I've had people and family members spend hours in the background and they're playing games they're doing all these sale tactics instead I can just go online and then buy it online within minutes and then it's I can and depending on the market get shipped to my door that's I mean that is extremely convenient 
I mean, and especially when you have this really powerful negative force that there's this bad association with going to a dealership and having this bad experience. And the next one, it's a better experience. You can do it all online rather than having to deal with, you know, the stereotypical car, uh, used car sale. I mean, there is maybe a reason for that negative stereotype. And I know there's many great car salesmen um, and you'd be happy to be friends with them or whatever. There's still that stereotype, and so that's associated in their mind. So when you give the customer an option to not have to deal with that and just buy online, that's a really positive uh, force. The other thing, there's better prices. Everyone has been talking very negatively, like, oh, Carvana, do you see what they offered me? They, they offered me so much more than uh, I even bought the car for. Free advertisement. My goodness, I can't believe how many people now know about Carvana from people saying how bad it is that they got more money. But now they're the ones with the more inventory compared to everybody else, and they're building up that reputation, and more people are n known about it. I mean, I almost think it was just as an advertising expense, right? Um, so they've been offering higher prices than maybe your lowball offer that you would get from trading in your car. They also, uh, if you go to their site, they've been have purchase prices that are below Kelly Blue Book in some cases, where if you go to the dealership, maybe you're paying way more. Um, they're trying to just take advantage of that local market and someone not knowing and then just buying your car. And then one of the most important things is that there's a better selection. So the inventory has been changing quite a bit, but there's been around like 30,000 cars online. It's been smaller with, you know, how during this this year during COVID, there's been like a shortage, uh, but on average, there's a lot of cars. And that's really, really important because this is also a really good comparison, not only versus the local markets, but also against other online competitors. If you were trying to buy a car, where would you want to look, especially online? You're going to look where there's the most cars. And the reason for that is you might have a very specific car in mind. Uh, in, in my head, I, I, I personally want, like I, I would want like an F-150, maybe after 2015, under 100,000 miles, uh, maybe with a certain, you know, finish, uh, black interior with a certain depth. I have very specific thing I want, and I kind of don't want to settle. And so it becomes really interesting that I my first thought is I better look where there's the most cars because it's more likely that they're going to have the car I want or at least the closer. Because if you think in terms of in the traditional uh, in-person, all the lots, it's like I'm limited to that you know 20 or 200 cars instead of 30,000 cars. <laughs> and so I don't – if, if they have the car I want on Carvana, I'm more likely to buy from them. So I just thought that was – that's one interesting thing. Um, the other aspect is – it, it, it tends to be that I, I believe that this is what's going to lead to, uh, you know, if people keep going to who has the highest selection, I think their market share is just going to keep increasing over time. And it's something I'm going to talk about in the next section as well. Uh, but they right now they have a very small market share. I say sub 5%, but I think it's even smaller than that. The, the industry is very fragmented. I think there's over 40 million cars sold each year, uh, $800, 900000000000 billion industry. And Carbon has a very, very small portion of that. So at least their high growth potential. Uh, and I'll try to talk about one interesting aspect of why people think it's going to be limited to the like the original markets, but I don't think that's it. And I'll get into that a, a little bit. Uh, but other people think, oh, they can't deal with CarMax. CarMax has so much more years. They have so much more. Uh, they're selling more. They're doing like all these aspects, right? But here's the thing. It, and I truly was looking to buy a car on CarMax. Uh, there is a CarMax two hours from me. They don't deliver. Uh, because they don't have the logistics network to be able to deliver that far. You can only deliver within a certain radius, which is very small, unlike Carvana that can actually ship to your place. And the other aspect is it's not a nationally pulled inventory, where if I go on a CarMax's website, I have to put in my location, and I can only be buying and looking at the cars in that lot, especially if I, I mean, specifically if I want to deliver. Otherwise, I have to drive across the country. And so it's like 
The, that's a huge disadvantage in comparison to Carvana that's pooling their whole inventory and has a great lo- uh, you know, vertically integrated uh, logistics network. And that's com- com- continually expanding. And this is where we get into scale economic shift. Okay? So not this is something that's been talked about at length within the last few months uh, to an insane amount. <laughs> uh, I actually, I don't know if I remember if I mentioned this at the beginning, but I, can, I actually wrote this all up for another investor when I'm discussing this as a viable option. Um, quite a while ago, and I just wanted to make this an actual formal paper uh, because I wasn't, I'm not buying one of these right now, and so I didn't. At first, I was like, I don't want anyone to know about this idea because I think this is really unique. And I was, but I, I started realizing, not many people watch these <laughs> or read these, so it's like, at this point, who cares if more people hear about it? I'd rather discuss it with others. But anyways, over the last few months, you know, even since I first wrote this, uh, Nick Sleep, who's who I got this idea from, reading his partnership letters. He's become increasingly popular. I think part of it is a book came out, uh, Richer, Wiser, Happier, Richer, something about that, where a chapter talks about him. Maybe it's a surprise talking about Nick Sleep. Uh, people on Twitter have been talking about this scale economic shared, uh, but it's such an interesting term. And uh, essentially, it's may, uh, one reason why Costco, Amazon, and, and uh, some other companies have done very well over time and had an increasing and growing and strengthening competitive advantage. And what it is, is as the company grows, they take those those scale benefits and give it back to the customer. They don't profit off of it. They use it to grow, lower prices, all these things that make it so the customer benefits more. And so as Carvana, there's there's a few ways that I've thought about this a lot. Um, and I think other people have realized this at this point because scale economic share has been talked about a lot. But the way, and I have a nice picture if you want to reference this. This is something I created because I, as you probably know, at this point, I'm always making pictures because it's just so nice to, to, to see it and just think through instead of trying to have this all in your mind. And this is actually really, I, I really like this picture. Um, it seems weird because I, I made it. I don't necessarily like my pictures. But anyways, so first reason of why Carvana is using scale economic share is as they grow into new cities, they increase their online selection by having new markets where customers can sell directly to Carvana. Currently, I don't have a Carvana vending machine or they're not even in my market. And so as Carvana gets into my market, well, now I become a customer that's willing to sell to Carvana. I, I'm not going to do that right now uh, unless they're going to come pick it up, which they're not because they're not in my market. So as they grow, it increases their inventory from people like me who then would sell to them. So now there's more selection uh, uh, from, from people selling to Carvana. And so now it's more likely that a customer uh, that they have a car that a customer wants. May I have uh, like a Ford Black 2009 car, and it has over 100,000 miles. And maybe there's somebody in Florida who's been dying for that exact car uh, for that price. And now finally, because I'm now in the market and I sold it, now they're ready to buy. And so now you have more customers, which allows for more revenue. And that allows you to build more car vending machines in other ways too, and IRCs and expand into other markets uh, and grow this out, increasing the inventory. It just keeps going. It just keeps cycling, right? And so having more customers increases the likelihood of finding a match with the existing inventory. Okay, so this is another thing. Is as you have more customers, now you have the person in Florida who they've been waiting for this car. They've been waiting, waiting now because there's more selection and more inventory. They're gonna buy right away, and so the time on the market because uh, of connecting those customers decreases. So they're not holding on to that Ford, you know, 2009 car uh, for months and months and months. And so there's lower depreciation and higher growth profits, which means there's more money left over for Carvana to go and grow, to go and grow. <laughs> uh, so it's just this vicious cycle. Right, and, sh- and it keeps growing and strengthening a competitive advantage. 
So also, by growing into new markets, the time of delivery of cars decreased. What I mean by that is, as right now, I would have to go drive to go pick up a car, or they have to, I have to uh, hire like a third party, spend extra money, and it's just not as enticing of a value proposition. But then as they grow into my market, and they say, hey, we can give you next day delivery. Now I'm interested, right? And that, that, sp uh, that speeds up the delivery time, increases the value to the customer, and it makes it more likely to entice someone like me to buy from Carvana, which is now more revenue coming in, and it leads to more money to expand a new market, decrease that time to the delivery, increase the amount of customers you're willing to buy, really, it just keeps going, right? You just keep, you keep this going. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to talk about was more from the equity shareholder perspective, uh, but it shows why this is just could definitely grow beyond uh, the the markets like Atlanta. Atlanta was one of the first markets, I, I believe, and I think they have been around since 2013, and I think their market share in, the, in that market is like 3%, I think. Uh, but people, I've seen projections, they say, oh, you know, Atlanta's at 3%, so if everyone else gets matured to 3%, well, then that's that's why Carvana's overvalued, because they're only going to get to 3%. However, we got to go back to that example. Imagine um, someone in Atlanta has been dying for my car, right? As Carvana scales and gets into more markets, there's it's more likely there's more people, that another 97% in Atlanta, that they see a car that they've been wanting because the selection size grows, um, that they start buying, and so it's more likely that that number isn't locked in. Even though it's a mature market, the first market benefits from it growing elsewhere. Costco, this was the thing Nick Sleep talked about right away, and this is when he just finally clicked with me about Carvana, is he talked about the first Costco. As they built the second one, they now had more revenue coming in, so they had more purchasing power, so they could lower prices, and it benefited both uh, the first and the second stores. So the first market was benefiting as they grow. And as they kept growing, the first market kept benefiting more and more, and the, the, the prices kept coming down. The same thing here. As they grow, the first market benefits more, and they can grow and increase uh, their market share even more. So made a graphic on this. It's almost exactly what I talked about. There's some little bit more nuances. Um, expand a new market, build a new vending machine, increases word of mouth so there's more buyers. That buyer's also probably going to sell. If they sell, that's more uh, revenue. If they're sourcing it from instead of from an auction, that's more uh, higher gross profit. So there's more money left over, so they can expand to new markets. Um, it also ability to purchase faster, which makes it for quicker purchases, which lower depreciation, so there's more gross profit. Uh, more buyers, they, there's more sellers, so there's more inventory and more selection, which leads to more buyers. Uh, each, if there's more buyers and more sellers, there's more word of mouth advertising. Hey, I bought my car from Carvana. It was this great experience. Oh, wow, that, I should buy from there. It just keeps going. Okay, the other thing, kind of resi uh, recession resistant. Because it's not new cars, if, if there's some recession, if your car breaks down, you might tend to not buy a new car. You might look to a used car. And so Carvana can benefit. They're not selling maybe those super, super old cars at this point. They're dealing with more uh, newer cars. But it's still, it's not brand new cars. And so this could still do okay, at least, in a re uh, recession. Um, there's a growing online presence. We've seen this, you know, especially during COVID. And really accelerated people buying from Carvana. And even though it's a, a large purchase price, I think people are getting more and more comfortable. Uh, the, the largest risk with this is, you know, if you bought the commercial real estate of buying this lease and Carvana's renting from you, is if they don't pay, um, and even if there's a corporate guarantee, and then, or if they go out of business and you're left with this building that <laughs> you can't really convert. Uh, both risks are a function of the underlying business and whether they're going to succeed over time. And I think due to the advantages over the traditional used car dealers and the online car dealers and the growing competitive advantage from sharing those scale uh, economics with the customer, 
and being more resi uh, recession resistant and benefiting from the increase in online purchases. I, I don't think it's a big of risk as people think. Again, we're comparing 3% cap rates or 3% returns versus you know, six, seven, eight percent, maybe even more if you can negotiate with you know these long times of the market. That I think that where everyone else is thinking, I don't want to be stuck with that. This is too highly uncertain, and the cap rates are this much higher. I just think that's opportunity. I think I think I I, I think that they're they're overestimating how risky this is. So uh, my goal sharing this isn't to promote <laughs> buying a Carvana vending machine or to suggest you buy the underlying shares. This is the end. A, uh, but rather hope by sharing this that if you're thinking other of other unique investments out there uh, that others aren't considering, and if you think of any, I would love to discuss them. I love discussing these more unique ideas. And although it might produce a higher return than other triple net or absolute net leases, I, I'm personally right now, and that's kind of why I'm sharing this, like I don't know if this is the best option in the full span. Maybe in the, in the, in the triple net, absolute net lease area, it might be the best deals possible, uh, but it is higher purchase prices. And, but it also depends on what the loan structure is. You might be able to get a really good loan with a low down payment. Maybe they're seller financing for a portion. Uh, the interest rates are super low. Maybe you can get a long you know, uh, amortization schedule or long loan period. All these things that make it interesting. But when I start comparing, even if I if it's on a levered basis, meaning I'm using leverage, only putting down you know, 10 20% to buy one of these Carvana vending machines, if I compare those overall returns and think over the next 10, 20, 30 years, and I compare that to some of the other investment opportunities out there, specifically in the public market, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I, I compare, it's all opportunity. Where do I want my money? Right now, it seems to be that there's better opportunities in the public market. But as, as those dry up, or if I can't find anything else, maybe this is the next best option. So, I hope you enjoyed this. This was a little bit different than the other videos I've done. Uh, if, if you did enjoy it, please consider just subscribing. It's completely free on my Substack. It lets me know if people enjoyed it. And everyone, thanks for watching, and I'll see you in the next one.